0: When I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches laugh large and thin. Stately, clumped Buck Mulligan. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Pete Buttigieg. What is the age of the soul of man? As she hath the virtue of the chameleon to change her hue at every new approach, to be gay with the merry and mournful with the downcast, so too is her age changeable as her mood. No longer is Leopold, as he sits there, ruminating, chewing the cut of reminiscence, that staid agent of publicity and holder of a modest substance in the funds. He is young Leopold, as in a retrospective arrangement, a mirror within a mirror. Hey, presto! He beholdeth himself. That young figure of then is seen, precociously manly, walking on a nipping morning from the old house in Clambrassel Street to the high school his book satchel on him, bandolier-wise, and in it a goodly hunk of wheaten loaf, a mother's thought. Or is it the same figure, a year or so gone over in his first hard hat, <laughs> that was a day, already on the road, a full-fledged traveler for the family firm, equipped with an order book, a scented handkerchief, not for show only, his case of bright trinket wear, alas, a thing now of the past, and a quiverful of compliant smiles for this or that half-won housewife reckoning it out upon her fingertips, or for a budding virgin shyly acknowledging, but the heart, tell me, his studied basemile. The scent, the smile, but more than these, the dark eyes and oleaginous address brought home at duskfall, many a commission to the head of the firm, seated with Jacob's pipe after like labors in the paternal ingle, a meal of noodles, you may be sure, is a heating, reading through round horn spectacles, some paper from the Europe of a month before. But hey, presto, the mirror is breathed on and the young knight-errant recedes, shrivels to a tiny speck within the mist. Now he is himself paternal, and these about him might be his sons. Who can say? The wise father knows his own child. He thinks of a drizzling night in Hatch Street, hard by the bonded stores there, the first. Together, she is a poor waif, a child of shame, yours and mine, and of all for a bare shilling and her luckpenny. Together they hear the heavy tread of the watch as two rain-caped shadows pass the new royal university. Bridey, Bridey Kelly. He will never forget the name, ever remember the night, first night, the bride night. They are entwined in nethermost darkness, the willer with the willed, and in an instant, fiat, Light shall flood the world. Did heart leap to heart? Nay, fair reader, in a breath t'was done. But hold, back, it must not be. In terror the poor girl flees away through the murk. She is the bride of darkness, a daughter of night. She dare not bear the sunny golden babe of day. No, Leopold, name and memory solace thee not. That youthful illusion of thy strength was taken from thee, and in vain. No son of thy loins is by thee. There is none now to be for Leopold what Leopold was for Rudolph. The voices blend and fuse in clouded silence. Silence that is the infinite of space. And swiftly, silently, the soul is wafted over regions of cycles of cycles of generations that have lived. A region where gray twilight ever descends, never falls on wide, sage-green pasture fields, shedding her dusk, scattering a perennial dew of stars. She follows her mother with ungainly steps, a mare leading her filly foal. Twilight phantoms are they, yet molded in prophetic grace of structure, slim, shapely haunches, a supple, tendinous neck, the meek, apprehensive skull. They fade, sad phantoms, all is gone. Agandath is a wasteland, a home of screech-owls and the sand-blind Upupa. Netaim, the golden, is no more. And on the highway of the clouds they come, muttering thunder of rebellion, the ghosts of beasts. Who, hark, ho! Parallax stalks behind and goads them the lancinating lightnings of whose brow are scorpions. Elk and yak, the bulls of Bashan and of Babylon, mammoth and mastodon, they come trooping to the sunken sea, lacus mortis ominous, revengeful, zodiacal host. They moan, passing upon the clouds, horned and capricorned, the trumpeted with the tusked, the lion-maned and the giant antlered, snouter and crawler, rodent, ruminant and pachyderm, all their moving, moaning multitude, murderers of the sun. Onward to the dead sea they tramp to drink, unslaked and with horrible gulpings, the salt somnolent, inexhaustible flood. And the equine portent grows again, magnified in the deserted heavens, nay to heaven's own magnitude, till it looms vast over the house of Virgo. And lo, wonder of Madame Psychosis, it is she, the everlasting bride, harbinger of the day star, the bride, ever virgin. It is she, Martha, thou lost one, Millicent, the young, the dear, the radiant. How serene does she now arise, a queen among the Pleiades in the penultimate Antelucan hour, shod in sandals of bright gold, quaffed with a veil of, what do you call it, gossamer. It floats, it flows about her star-born flesh, and loose its streams emerald, sapphire, mauve, and heliotrope, sustained on currents of cold interstellar wind, winding, coiling, simply swirling, writhing in the skies, a mysterious writing, till after a myriad metamorphoses of symbol, it blazes alpha, a ruby and triangled sign upon the forehead of Taurus. Francis was reminding Stephen of years before, when they had been at school together in Conme's time. He asked about Glaucon, Alcibiades, Pisistratus. Where were they now? Neither knew. You have spoken of the past and its phantoms, Stephen said. "'Why think of them? "'If I call them into life across the waters of Lethe, "'will not the poor ghosts troop to my call? "'Who supposes it? "'I, Boas Stephanuminus, Bulbach befriending bard, "'am lord and giver of their life.' "'He encircled his gadding hair "'with a coronal of vine leaves, smiling at Vincent. "'That answer, and those leaves,' Vincent said to him, "'will adorn you more fitly when something more "'and greatly more than a capful of light odes "'can call your genius father.' "'All who wish you well hope this for you. "'All desire to see you bring forth the work you meditate. "'I heartily wish you may not fail them.' "'Oh, no, Vincent,' Lenehan said, "'laying a hand on the shoulder near him. "'Have no fear. "'He could not leave his mother an orphan.' "'The young man's face grew dark. "'All could see how hard it was for him "'to be reminded of his promise and of his recent loss. "'He would have withdrawn from the feast "'had not the noise of voices allayed the smart.' Madden had lost five drachmas on Scepter for a whim of the rider's name. Lenihan as much more. He told them of the race. The flag fell and, ho oh, off, scamper. The mare ran out freshly with O Madden up. She was leading the field. All hearts were beating. Even Phyllis could not contain herself. She waved her scarf and cried, huzzah, Scepter wins. But in the straight on the run home, when all were in close order, the dark horse throwaway drew level, reached, outstripped her. All was lost now. Phyllis was silent. Her eyes were sad anemones. Juno, she cried, I am undone. But her lover consoled her and brought her a bright casket of gold in which lay some oval sugar plums, which she partook. A tear fell, one only. A whacking fine whip, said Lenehan, as W. Lane, four winners yesterday and three today. What rider is like him? Mount him on the camel or the boisterous buffalo. The victory in a hack canter is still his. But let us bear it as was the ancient wont. Mercy on the luckless, poor scepter, he said with a light sigh. She is not the filly that she was. Never by this hand shall we behold such another. My Gad, sir, a queen of them. Do you remember her, Vincent? I wish you could have seen my queen today, Vincent said. How young she was and radiant. Lalage were scarce fair beside her. In her yellow shoes and frock of muslin, I do not know the right name of it. The chestnuts that shaded us were in bloom the air drooped with their persuasive odor and with pollen floating by us. In the sunny patches one might easily have cooked on a stone a batch of those buns with Corinth fruit in them that Periplepomenus sells in his booth near the bridge. But she had naught for her teeth but the arm with which I held her, and in that she nibbled mischievously when I pressed too close. A week ago she lay ill, four days on the couch, but today she was free, blithe, mocked at peril. She is more taking then her posies too mad romp that it is she had pulled her fill as we reclined together and in your ear my friend you will not think who met us as we left the field Conme himself he was walking by the hedge reading i think a brevier book with i doubt not a witty letter in it from Gleiser or chloe to keep the page the sweet creature turned all colors in her confusion feigning to reprove a slight disorder in her dress a slip of underwood clung there for the very trees adore her when Kanmi had passed, she glanced at her lovely echo in the little mirror she carries. But he had been kind. In going by, he had blessed us. The gods, too, are ever kind, Lenehan said. If I had poor luck with Bass's mare, perhaps this draft of his may serve me more propensely. He was laying his hand upon a wine jar. Malachi saw it and withheld his act, pointing to the stranger and to the scarlet label. Warily, Malachi whispered, preserve a druid silence. His soul is far away. It is as painful, perhaps, to be awakened from a vision as to be born. Any object intensely regarded may be a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods. Do you not think it, Stephen? Theosophos told me, Stephen answered, whom in a previous existence Egyptian priests initiated into the mysteries of karmic law. The lords of the moon, Theosophos told me. An orange, fiery shipload from planet Alpha of the lunar chain would not assume the etheric doubles, and these were therefore incarnated by the ruby-colored egos from the second constellation. However, as a matter of fact, though, the preposterous surmise about him being in some description of a doldrums, or other, or mesmerized, which was entirely due to a misconception of the shallowest character, was not the case at all. The individual whose visual organs, while the above was going on, were at this juncture commencing to exhibit symptoms of animation was as astute if not astuter than any man living and anybody that conjectured the contrary would have found themselves pretty speedily in the wrong shop. During the past four minutes, or thereabouts, he had been staring hard at a certain amount of number one bass bottled by Mr. Bass and Company at Burton-on-Trent, which happened to be situated, amongst a lot of others, right opposite to where he was, and which was certainly calculated to attract anyone's remark on account of its scarlet appearance. He was, simply and solely, as it subsequently transpired for reasons best known to himself, which put quite an altogether different complexion on the proceedings, after the moment before his observations about boyhood days in the turf, recollecting two or three private transactions of his own, which the other two were as mutually innocent of as the babe unborn. Eventually, however, both their eyes met, and as soon as it began to dawn on him that the other was endeavoring to help himself to the thing, he involuntarily determined to help him himself, and so he accordingly took hold of the medium-sized glass recipient, which contained the fluid sought after, and made a capacious hole in it by pouring a lot of it out with, and, also, at the same time, however, a considerable degree of attentiveness in order not to upset any of the beer that was in it about the place. The debate which ensued was in its scope and progress an epitome of the course of life. Neither place nor council was lacking in dignity. The debaters were the keenest in the land, the team they were engaged on, the loftiest and most vital. The high hall of Horn's house had never beheld an assembly so representative and so varied, nor had the old rafters of that establishment ever listened to a language so encyclopedic. A gallant scene in truth it made. Crothers was there at the foot of the table in his striking highland garb, his face glowing from the briny airs of the Mall of Galloway. There, too, opposite to him was Lynch, whose countenance bore already the stigmata of early depravity and premature wisdom. Next, the Scotchman was the place assigned to Costello, the eccentric, while at his side was seated in stolid repose the squat form of madden. The chair of the resident indeed stood vacant before the hearth, but on either flank of it, the figure of Bannon, in explorer's kit of tweed shorts and salted cowhide brogues, contrasted sharply with the primrose elegance and town-bred manners of Malachi Roland St. John Mulligan. Lastly, at the head of the board, was the young poet who found a refuge from his labors of pedagogy and metaphysical inquisition in the convivial atmosphere of Socratic discussion, while to right and left of him were accommodated the flippant prognosticator fresh from the Hippodrome and that vigilant wanderer, soiled by the dust of travel and combat and stained by the mire of an indelible dishonor, but from whose steadfast and constant heart no lure or peril or threat or degradation could ever efface the image of that voluptuous loveliness which the inspired pencil of Lafayette has limned for ages yet to come.